Yes, Virginia, diesel engines do have a future. I'm Jim Park, and this is HGT Talks Trucking Season 4, Episode Number 3. Does diesel have a future? Well, of course it does. That's why diesel engine makers continue to invest millions of dollars in incremental improvements to their engines. Alan Schaefer, the executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum, is not only a strong advocate for diesel, he has a very realistic view of its future. He says there's room at the ball for everybody, diesel, battery electric, fuel cell electric, natural gas, and all the rest. None of those technologies is presently capable of replacing diesel entirely, but they can replace some diesels in some applications. As we move toward a low-carbon future, we'll see more and more alternative fuels stake out their place in the market, but it's safe to say that our grandkids will likely still be using diesel engines in one form or another. My conversation with Alan Schaefer on the future of diesel is coming up right after this. This episode is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a unique networking event where fleet managers and suppliers connect and collaborate. HDTX 2021 takes place May 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to learn more. Oh, hi there, Ellen, and uh, thanks for joining us today on HDT Talks Trucking. It's good to have you aboard. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. Great to be here. So there's a lot of people who think that uh, diesel's days are numbered. Um, we're getting attacked from all sides, it seems, with environmentalists and regulators and everybody else saying, oh, no, 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 we got to stop diesel engines. Can you just kind of give us an overview of where we are today, you know, in, in terms of the uh, the challenges that we face and uh, all the good that we uh, are currently still bringing to the table? Sure. I think... You know, the, the last six months or so of this pandemic, I think, have really reinforced for people, um, you know, a lot about goods movement and how things get to them and how important it is to have a, a supply chain that works. And lost in that, though, I think is, you know, what really enabled that to get done? And, of course, it was the drivers and, and all the, the people that were involved in this. But, you know, to a large extent, uh, this was uh, – this was the diesel industry, diesel technology, really stepping up and and you know delivering goods and and you know push, pushing the limits of of what's possible in the, in these this critical time. So, you know, I think you know there's a greater appreciation maybe for what trucking does and sort of being able to deliver stuff to your home and you know all kinds of timeframes. Um, and there's likely to be more focus on that on the future. But I wish we had more discussion about. You know, what are the technologies that, that allow that to happen, that, that truck to roll down the street of my grocery store and, you know, then, then to deliver that uh, to my home? Because I think that's, you know, that's really where, where a lot of the focus has been. And, and I think, you know, this is a technology today that continues to dominate the global goods movement system. I think, you know, it powers 15 sectors of the global economy. Last time I checked, it's the primary motive power source for, you know, trucking and freight transportation. And, you know, it's got uh, gotten to that point really not by accident, but because it's, you know, been a technology that, that keeps getting better. That's reliable. It's proven. It's available. It's got a widespread network of servicing and fueling. And, you know, people just assume that that big rig rolling down the road, you know, it's all in my stuff. And they you know, maybe don't think about what's uh, what's enabling that to happen. So I think you know, we're going to have a greater appreciation for all these technologies because of this uh, this period. And, um, you know, diesel's in a good spot today. 
it's, uh, it's uh, achieving near zero emissions for the newest generation of technology. And, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty out there that's left, uh, plenty of additional improvement in diesel uh, that we'll see in the future. And uh, I think we're excited about that as are uh, our member companies. Well, when you talk about near zero, it all comes down to semantics because, you know, neither you or I can really see what's coming out of a tailpipe anymore. It is pretty darn clean, but there is still something there. Um, we hear mandates like we're getting from California and other places uh, where they want, quote unquote, zero emissions or are almost zero emissions or near zero emissions still good enough? Well, that's an important distinction. I think, um, you know, we we have to understand that, um, particularly with this last round of, of rulemaking that California has just, just put the uh, the finishing touches on, that one of the fundamental issues about whether or not this will be possible has nothing to do with uh, whether or not diesel technology can achieve it, but has everything to do about whether um, manufacturers and government agencies can measure it. I mean, we are truly that low in emissions, um, particularly when you factor in all the real world in use uh, uh, kinds of concerns and driving even closer to that zero mark with diesel is, is going to be possible, but it's going to be, you know, continue to be uh, challenging to measure that. So I think, you know, the, uh, the, the last decade has shown us how to get to near zero emissions for diesel. And, you know, if you go back to 2000, looked at the, the diesel engine, then um, today's diesel engine is, you know, over 98% lower in emissions of fine particles and, and nitrogen oxides. And it's, it's an incredible accomplishment, but you're right. There's still some emissions there. And now the focus is on how much closer to zero can we get? And I think, you know, from what I hear from manufacturers and suppliers, there's definitely some room to, to scoop closer to that, that, uh, that zero point. Um, it, it will be challenging uh, not without the additional expense, but it's definitely possible. When you talk about zero emissions, we're not talking necessarily wheel to well or well to wheel here. It's it's what's coming out of the tailpipe. And obviously, when you're running a battery electric truck through town, uh, you've got zero local emissions. Nothing's coming out of the tailpipe because there isn't one. But when you go back up through the supply chain, what are your thoughts on what might be considered truly clean uh, supply chain uh, energy? Yeah, this is <clears throat> this is one of the great... Um uh, issues of this conversation about, you know, where does really the, uh, the source of energy come from? And we're all familiar with petroleum refining and all the issues associated with that. But, you know, it feels like on a lot of days that when we start to have that discussion about electrification, it's almost as if um, there are no emissions, that, that there's an assumption, an inherent, <clears throat> excuse me, an inherent assumption perhaps that all electrons are clean and created with 100% renewable energy. And this is just truly not the case. There are some parts in the U.S. where most of those electrons are being created from natural gas, uh, from natural gas-fired power plants. So effectively, we're trading, you know, tailpipe emissions for smokestack emissions. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, to to really have a a more thoughtful conversation, I think, you know, shame on all of us who, you know, talk about the zero emissions as if, there really are none because there are always some impacts associated with whatever it is that's powering whatever vehicle that you have. And, you know, California, which has a very high mix of renewable energy and wind and solar and aggressive policies to go even further on that, um, 
Yes, that is, uh, you know, electric, electric vehicles there are going to get very close to near zero. Um, Pacific Northwest gets a lot of its energy, electrical energy from hydropower. So as long as we have continued, you know, high volumes of water flowing out through the Cascade Mountains and, and such, you're going to have a good supply of hydro generated electricity, which is extremely clean. But then we go to East Coast, middle of the, the U.S. and other places where, you know, the idea of wind farms and other things is only now recently coming into focus. So there's really not a whole lot of capacity for renewables there. So that means that, you know, again, the electricity is coming from conventional uh, fossil fuel fired power generators or nuclear. So we have to have a lot more honesty and transparency in these kind of discussions. Um, and, you know, I think that's, uh, that's good for everybody. Yeah, and I think that's lacking in a lot of the conversations we hear, especially coming from the, uh, you know, the near zero advocates. They they seem to forget that some places in the country, indeed the world, uh, don't have you know clean energy sources like hydroelectric power or uh, or nuclear power. It's you know relying on renewables, and time and time again you hear the renewables are a going to come up short. They can't possibly meet demand, and b they're uh, unreliable. It's great when the wind's blowing, but uh, and at nighttime you've got no sun. So uh, there are limits to to what we can do with that. There are, and we have just seen you know some examples of that in California in the last two weeks during these uh, this, indeed yeah this really unusual heat event that they've had, and they had you know some some blackouts that happened a few weeks ago, and then you know the threat of more of those kind of things, which is just you know it's a terrible occurrence, but you know the reality is that. Um, the electricity supply just could not keep up with the demand. And, you know, it's a, a footnote to that entire story is that, you know, some diesel generators came online at institutions and manufacturing facilities to um, shed the load off the grid that they would normally use to allow the electricity system to be less stressed. So there's a situation where you're in, you know, a dire situation trying to ask for people to conserve electricity. Uh, to avoid brownouts, and if that doesn't happen, then how do you, you know, how do you keep the grid energized? And one of the ways is to, you know, go into your demand response mode and ask institutions and college universities and big manufacturers to say, hey, can you run those diesel generators that you have for maybe an hour or two? That's all we need during this peak time to shave off enough demand so we can keep the lights on for thousands of homes. And so that's what happens. Um, not just in California, but uh, right now we're really focusing on that. So, mm. you know, I think th the lesson to be learned in all of this is we need all of these energy sources uh, going forward into the future. We, we, we would be um, foolish to despise what new technologies might offer us and also equally foolish to despise and, and you know, denigrate technologies like diesel that are delivering all the benefits today. I don't think it'll ever be you know, probably not in our lifetimes anyway, an either or situation where you have, you know, diesel or something else or something else as opposed to diesel. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of those alternatives. Though. I mean, there are other technologies competing, maybe you might say, battery electric, uh, hydrogen fuel cells, natural gas to some degree. Can you talk about uh, how you see diesel's place in a, in a new world uh, where these energies are, are competing or cohabitating with diesel? Well, I, I think, Jim, that's a great way to put it. It's, it's cohabitation, right? It is, it is you know, accepting uh, new technologies and letting those leverage the areas where they can do best at the moment and to continue to value those technologies that are delivering 
where they can invest at the moment. I think, you know, you can start at the largest trucks hauling the longest distances and you sort of feel like it's going to be very difficult to replace diesel without, um, with all the issues relative to infrastructure and energy and power density that, that diesel provides over other, other technologies. And, you know, hydrogen may be um, an interesting player in all this, um, but again, that's dependent on infrastructures getting built out and, and that can take time and money and can be disrupted by um, investments and other things. So on the biggest trucks hauling the longest distance, you feel like, you know, diesel is going to be there for a good long while. Uh, it's got to get cleaner and it will uh, and more efficient and it will, but uh, it's, it's probably going to own that space for a good while. Once you get into the regional and, and last mile delivery, I mean, there's where the interesting opportunities start to emerge, which is, you know, the same things that we've learned over time where, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to have a, a big white panel truck hauling a plumber and his small bag of tools every day to the job site. Uh, it's burning a lot of fuel and a lot of cost to do that when the reality is he doesn't usually haul anything except air and really himself in a small bucket of tools. So why not put him in a smaller vehicle and sort of right size that whole situation? So, you know, there's less cost being put forward to, to enable that, uh, that journeyman to do his job. So we've learned that at the most simple levels. And now I think we're trying to apply that upward throughout the delivery and supply chain. So, you know, last mile delivery could be very interesting. If you live in a city, maybe it's a drone. If you live in the suburbs, it might be, you know, an autonomous uh, vehicle that's, you know, just coming down your sidewalk and coming to your door. Um, you know, further out, you know, electric vehicles within a hundred mile range or so feels like it makes, makes sense if everything comes together right. And so I think it's, you know, uh, increasingly going to be one of those, um, a mix of technologies. And I mean, ultimately that's good for all of us, I think, because we all want cleaner air uh, and a better environment and, and climate for not only ourselves, but our future and our children. So, you know, it, it's all good if we can make a, find a way to make it work together and, you know, not, uh, not, not beat each other into the ground in the process. Well, I think if you have a hundred trucks, you know, working in an urban environment, delivering parcels and food and groceries and supplies to local retailers, if you could replace those hundred trucks with battery electric trucks, you've got a hundred fewer diesel engines now contributing to the greenhouse gas problem. So that's got to be a step forward. But to simply put out a blanket statement that says diesel doesn't work and we can't allow this to happen anymore is pretty unrealistic, I think. It's foolish. And, and one of the biggest problems with that approach is that it, it fails to think about the temporal aspect of of where we are and what it takes to make these Herculean changes. And yes, this pandemic has taught us a lot about the ability to slow things down and, and for economies to shut down and to have, you know, market improvements in air quality in, in urban areas. And, and that's a great thing. But to, to ban investments in, in fossil fuel-based technologies like diesel in the future, um, you know, makes no sense. Um, and and here's, here's a good example why. Um, what if a diesel engine isn't running on diesel fuel at all in the future? What if it's running on 100% renewable, advanced renewable biodiesel fuels that are made from waste products that have an 80% carbon reduction potential? Is that a technology we want to have on the table for, uh, for helping solve our future problems? I think so. But if we have folks in the policymaking world and, and some advocates that, 
that can only see EV as the answer, then we've got a problem because that technology and the, those kind of really advanced biofuels are going to have a hard time playing because they've been shouted down and shouted out of the conversation. Yeah, and I, th- I, I that's one of the biggest risks um, I think we face is, uh, is is clarity and you know openness in this discussion because uh, that crowd certainly dominates the landscape today, don't they? Well, there's uh, they are a formidable uh, force, and uh, you know we have national elections coming up, so it, you know it's hard to see how that <laughs> might change in the future. But yeah, um, I think it's you know it's imperative for um, you know the folks that really understand how to how to do this um, that they're the ones making the decisions. You know, mm-hmm. the fleet managers and others, not uh, you know not advocates that don't know anything about running a trucking company. This is HDT Talks Trucking. I'm Jim Park. I'm talking with Alan Schaefer, the Executive Director of the Diesel Technology Forum. When we come back after the break, we'll dig into some of the long-term plans for cleaning up diesels even more than they already are. And we'll talk about how fleets can manage the transition from low carbon to zero emissions. Stay with us. HDT Talks Trucking is brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange a relationship-building event hosted by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. HDTX is loaded with topical discussions and learning opportunities with some of the most innovative people in the business. HDTX 2021 takes place May 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Managers of Class 7 and 8 fleets apply now to be our guest at HDTX 2021. To learn more and to apply, go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com. You talked earlier about, uh, you know, the overall emissions picture having, you know, come down 98% since about the year 2000. That, you know, that's a huge improvement overall, but we're still fighting emissions battles on several fronts these days. But uh, where are we on those other fronts? Um, are, are we getting pushed into uh, any other corners on, you know, PM, uh, methane and uh, hydrocarbon emissions and all that sort of stuff? Or where are we there now? Well, you wind back the clock 20 years ago, um, the Clinton administration set out a challenge for diesel to achieve near zero emissions in a decade. And that was accomplished in 2010 through a combination of of cleaner diesel fuel and advanced engine technologies and these new emissions control systems that the industry has become familiar with. Um, And that's been the standard since, since then. So since 2010, we haven't had any new emission standards. That's not to say that the engines themselves have not improved or become more efficient um, and, and lower in emissions just through that process. But, you know, now we're, we're, we're going to turn a new chapter and a new page into, uh, you know, making diesel even cleaner in the future. So um, I think that, uh, you know, California is, is pushing very hard with a very aggressive time frame for not only lower emissions of nitrogen oxides, dramatically lower, um, but also you know, a uh, reduction by half in the levels of particulates. And so I think, um, you know, that's going to set the stage for uh, a lot of discussion as this regulation is still settling in the dust, so to speak, um, with industry in terms of what, what's doable there, the cost effectivity of it, um, the timeframes, et cetera. Um, I think, you know, what we've learned about emissions control technology is that it, it, it has gotten better. It's gotten, uh, you know, the first emissions control systems 
definitely had some bugs that uh, had to be worked out, whether it's particulate filters or um, the SCR systems. But, you know, I think now we've got um, a pretty good handle on how those work best. And we're really in the mode of optimizing those systems to deliver, you know, more efficiency at reducing emissions in smaller packages, um, using, you know, less expensive components and, and catalysts and, so you feel like there's being good progress made there, and that's going to be important for going forward because all that's going to be needed. And I think, you know, I wouldn't, I would be remiss not to um, call out the significant changes that are taking place inside the engine itself. I think, you know, learning more about how combustion works. You think we would know everything about how a diesel engine burns fuel these days, and how you know we could, you know, it's just how it is. But I'm amazed that what's happening in terms of material science and reducing friction inside the engine and the metal parts, you know, it, it's, it's, it's still plenty room for con contributions to more efficiency and lower emissions there. So I think, you know, future standards are going to be challenging because they're going to be closer to zero. They will add some costs to these, these trucks, no doubt. Um, but, uh, you know, if you just look at technology and talk to engineers, um, you know, these are, these are people that are highly motivated about this challenge, even more so than the last one. So I'm pretty confident they'll be able to deliver uh, something that's going to keep diesel in the mix for, uh, for decades to come. Uh, the Diesel Technology Forum did a webinar a couple of weeks prior to this discussion. And you had some people on there from Bosch and Tenneco talking about some of their technologies, which I wasn't surprised to hear what they were doing, but... I was surprised to see, you know, the level at which they're, they're diving into this. But once we get through all these improvements, I'm not that we'll ever get to the end of it, but how much do you think it's going to add, this will, you know, keep fleets awake at night, uh, add to the complexity and the cost of, uh, of those diesel powertrains? Well, no, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> From the fleet perspective, you don't want more stuff that's going to go wrong and cause you grief and, you know, roadside failures and what have you. But the more stuff you add downstream of the turbocharger, for example, or upstream of it, um, you know, you increase the potential for, for calamity and cost and disruption. And of course, all those other I think, things. you know, those are, those are, you know, fair concerns. And I, I, I think, you know, it's, it would be false to say there's not going to be an associated increase in cost for, future diesel technology. I think, you know, we've, we've seen that, um, you know, really in starting in 2010 was kind of the first time that manufacturers were able to give back fuel efficiency to fleets that was lost from some of the previous emission standards. And that was with the new SCR system and the sophisticated engine tuning that that allowed to um, engines to be optimized more for fuel economy and and less so for, you know, NOx and let the SCR system kind of clean that up. And, you know, I think the good news is we have had a lot of advancements in the SCR technology. And, you know, the packages are smaller, they're more efficient. I think they're looking at, you know, additional dosing strategies, not just, you know, one time onto the catalyst, but maybe something earlier on into the exhaust stream that mm -hmm. helps address that issue of, of cold, cold operation, low load, low temperature kinds of NOx. Um, that's been there. So I feel, I feel pretty confident that, um, you know, they're, they're building better mousetraps and there will be some uh, associated costs with that. And I think what, what it's, uh, you know, what is likely now is that there'll be less of a, 
less of an absolute trade-off. You know, we're going to see, you know, not only engines that will be closer to, to zero in emissions, but there's also going to be some efficiency gains to be able to be squeezed out of this as well. Um, I think it, it's, it's a different place than we were at in 2000 in terms of the significance of the challenge. So I feel like, you know, yeah, there's going to be an added cost. And I mean, let's be honest, there's an added cost to all of these um, strategies to achieve clean air and lower greenhouse gas emissions. And, you know, what will be hard, I think, is as, you know, there becomes, uh, you know, carrots offered by governments and others to, you know, try and invest in new technologies and to, you know, subsidize and offset the, the upfront capital investments for fueling infrastructure and all that, you know, to have a level analysis and comparison of what, you know, a cost of a, let's say a 2027 diesel engine is compared to, you know, a hydrogen um, engine, if there's one comparable available at that time. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that, you know, natural gas is, is, is sort of in that boat today. And, you know, we've seen considerable uh, efforts by the gas utilities to offer, you know, extremely low price gas guarantees for a decade. If you sign up and they'll put in the infrastructure for you and maintain it. And if, you know, amazing uh, kind of offers there. And, you know, honestly, um, more fleets are using natural gas than, than ever before. And I think they've you know, gotten to that point because they've had some incredible offers from gas utilities and others to um, uh, write down the cost of infrastructure or to make that, you know, kind of a transparent hidden kind of aspect of using a particular fuel. So it becomes hard to compare, you know, what's the, the higher cost of diesel in 2025 with, you know, natural gas or hydrogen or something like that when some of the subsidies and things that are offered by governments or private fueling interests or others, you know, maybe might obscure what that looks like. Um, and so, you know, it wouldn't be necessarily an apples to apples comparison. So, yes, the future diesel technology will likely cost more, but you'll get more from it. Um, but you also pay more for some of these, you know, new technologies and ones that are not without risk in terms of whether or not they'll ultimately work and can be supported at the level that fleets are accustomed to. So, um, you know, I would say buckle up. It's going to be an interesting ride. (laughs) Indeed it will. Yeah. Oh, we just heard a matter of weeks ago, California, uh, for one was going to, uh, or, or had mandated all electric commercial vehicles sold in that state by, I think it's 2045. If my facts are right, if not, straighten me out. Uh, there's a lot of other states that are talking about the same thing as well. What kind of an impact is that going to have on the future of diesel engines? Well, I think, you know, first of all, the, 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 the 13 other states that expressed an interest in, in pursuing California-like policies are, um, you know, um, akin to some of the states that adopt California's light-duty vehicle emission standards. So they have, I think, um, you know, demonstrated... Uh, desire to go beyond what the federal government has done and frankly probably feel a frustration with um, you know the level of activity in the current administration it's to some extent um, but you know certainly those uh, those states um, are significant in terms of the trucking industry and you know the miles traveled and that sort of thing there are some big big states there and the East Coast Carter is a significant one um, I think though there's you know there is a recognition that um, you know there are there are some challenges on on the East Coast side that are very unique from California. I mean, first and foremost is California's incredible funding commitment and greenhouse gas reduction fund and federal excuse me and state 
dollars that have flown uh, that have uh, flowed into subsidizing all these alternative fuels and, and infrastructure I mean to the billions and billions of dollars are we going to see that same level of, of capability and investment in 13 disparate states with different governors different political persuasions um, I think not I mean I think it's going to be it seems unlikely it seems unlikely and so you know then you're left with sort of a piecemeal approach and you know what might happen as a result of that it's really hard to say I think you know, there will be fits and starts, and we'll probably see some states break out and, and be able to establish some things. But, you know, the markets for those vehicles in those states are going to be small or far smaller than California. So for manufacturers, it, pre- it presents, you know, um, a, a conundrum, really, that, you know, these uh, California is one market that's got, you know, um, a lot of significance. But you know, now we're talking about 13 smaller markets. And you know, how, is, how important it is it for each manufacturer to offer the right uh, 13 different combinations of a vehicle for, to serve all these different masters, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to be one of the bigger challenges for, for industry, which might, you know, leave the door open for advanced diesel and using renewable biofuels in this area, um, maybe more so even than, than in California, because, you know, these high density urban areas uh, along the Northeast corridor, um, you know, ports are a great example of that where communities have been promised, you know, steps to mitigate pollution from ocean going vessels and drayage trucks. And, you know, some of those things have been put in place and worked a little bit, but, you know, um, they've been now holding out for full electrification. And, you know, looking at where we are today, you could imagine that could be measured really in decades. And that would mean entire generations are lost without, you know, the benefit of cleaner air and lower greenhouse gas emissions, which, you know, if you took and used a cleaner fuel over your entire existing fleet that you have on the road today, you could make a really solid gain in reducing carbon and reducing emissions. So I think those 13 states are going to have an interesting evaluation to do that uh, will be very different than California's. And um, we'll see if they're able to stick together, but um, my guess is they will not. Yeah, I think that's that speaks to the need for a federal regulation, a strong federal rule that all the states will be, you know, required to follow, and indeed the Indian manufacturers can build to. Trucking is, is an interstate business, so it would be in our best national interest to have a uniform national standard on all these things. And indeed, you know, not to not allow flexibility for states in some areas, but. Um, it just adds cost and confusion and complexity for truckers just who want to just do their job. So pretend you're a fleet today in 2020. Uh, you're looking out over the horizon and you're seeing um, battery electric vehicles, fuel cell vehicles, natural gas, biofuels, all these alternatives coming your way. And people you hear in the news are saying, you must do this and you must do that. You can't do this and you can't do that. Uh, how do you plan uh, your fleet growth and, and, and marketing and, uh, you know, segments of the business you want to evolve into over the next 10 years when all these uh, emissions uh, challenges are in such a state of flux right now? What would you suggest to a fleet besides leave town and maybe set up shop in Brazil or someplace? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. I, and I've, you know, I had the good fortune to work within the, the trucking industry going back into the late 80s. And you know, I know um, uh, folks that make these kind of decisions and, you know, 
spent a lot of time, you know, wrangling over all kinds of, you know, details of trucks. I mean, not that anti-lock brakes were not a, a major force in industry, but I can remember the tremendous amount of discussion about that and, and, you know, whether that was a good technology and the cost of doing that, conspicuity standards, the whole nine yards. I mean, a lot of these things take a long time. So I think if, if history serves any purpose that, um, you know, there is tremendous hyperbole and, and, you know, media coverage and, you know, some kind of excitement about something new. And electrification is that. I mean, it's, a, it's all the talk of the town. There's some new companies that are coming on the scene that are fueling a lot of that talk. And they have never made a single truck ever. And so I think <laughs> that um, my advice for fleets would be, you know, this is all about risk management. And I think that, you know, first and foremost, the, the, you know, your supplier that you have today, you know, is someone you've got a relationship with and have trusted and understand what they offer. And, and they've been straight shooters with you and you can, you know, maybe get a feel for other technologies if you're interested in your business model and your lanes of, of freight, you know, are going to support it in the future. That's where you start. I mean, that's where you see if, if these kinds of things might work and whether or not there's ability to, to, to poke around a little bit and see if there's any, any, uh, any reason for you to be in that business. I think where you get into trouble is, you know, you get a call from somebody that said, hey, I read this in the paper today and so-and-so is buying, a, you know, getting 100 electric trucks. They just put an order in for those. Why aren't we doing that? And, you know, you've thought about it and analyzed it and can provide 100 reasons for why not. Um, you have to be prepared to, you know, kind of justify those decisions. And, you know, we've, we've had the good fortune to have, you know, it's always been diesel, I mean, right? It's just the price of fuel. And, you know, what, what are we hedging on fuel? We're getting smarter on that. So, you know, we're buying fuel in the future and buying it at good prices today. So we got that figured out. And, you know, it's harder for technology because um, they have longer tails, longer time to be implemented. So, you know, I think it's first and foremost, work with the suppliers and the, the truck OEMs that you know and trust. Uh, they're going to give you good advice and they're going to have probably the best products and the best supported products um, that you might want to, you know, try out, whether it's, you know, hydrogen or something other than diesel or renewable diesel fuel and sort of understanding that piece of it. Um, so I think first and foremost, though, is, and the other thing I would say is don't get, you know, don't get caught up in the hyperbole of the moment. And, you know, a lot of the larger, more um, high profile national package fleets get a lot of press about their huge investments. And I always have to chuckle because, you know, those are not symbolic of the basic trucking industry. I mean, they are, you know, they're in a different place and different capabilities and a lot of different factors there. So, you know, um, go with what you know. <clears throat> Don't be afraid to take some risks along the way, but make sure you know what you're getting into and, and you know, do it with good, uh, good partners and, and folks that can advise you well. And, you know, check out the, uh, not only how, how cold the water is, but how deep it is before you jump in. Right? <laughs> good advice. Yeah. Very true. Well, Alan, thanks. Uh, good discussion, and uh, I'm glad you could share some of that stuff with us today. I think, uh, uh, well, I've maintained anyway that diesel does have quite a future ahead of it, and it's not going away anytime soon, so you've just kind of uh, corroborated that thought. But yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, 10 to 20 years ahead of it. Absolutely will, and like I said, you know, buckle up. It's going to be an interesting ride. HDT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. 
HDTX 2021 takes place May 3rd, 4th, and 5th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to view the agenda and apply to be our guest at HDTX 2021. The Diesel Technology Forum is a great resource for learning about advanced diesel technology and what's happening on the development and policy fronts with diesel. Check out their website, dieselforum.org. HDT Talks Trucking is technology agnostic. We have three other episodes this season on alternative fuels of other sorts. Check out the episode on renewable natural gas with Hugh Donnell of Cummins Westport. We'll also have Paul Rosa from Penske Truck Leasing with an update on that company's battery electric fuel tests currently underway in Southern California. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe so you won't miss an episode and please leave us a review or a comment while you're at it. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. 